Welcome to the Dark Depth Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy formats. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I'm here with the silent prophet himself, Michael Mapson. How are you? Mapson. Mapson here. How are you? Okay, I get it. Silent, silent prophet, we're not going to talk. That's fine. Not a big deal. All right, so I guess Mapson's not talking this episode. Um, no, in all seriousness, uh, Mapson had some other things to come up, uh, so he's not going to be here this week. Uh, so it'll just be me talking. I haven't, I've, haven't actually done a solo episode yet, so I thought it'd be a, at least a fun, uh, challenge. We'll see how everything goes. Um, and hope, you know, hopefully you guys still enjoy the show as much as you can. Um, we are looking at some of the new cards that came out. You know, in the past couple weeks, with Call Time finally hitting Magic Online, and just seeing how some of these cards started to affect uh, the modern and legacy formats. Uh, the ones I made a list of different cards, and I think these have you know different degrees of um, ubiquity, right? Some cards are all over the place. I feel like, and some cards barely show up and may not even notice them. But I wanted to try to pick out a couple of them that I thought you might find interesting, you might see what, as you're playing some of these these games. Um, coincidentally, the first one I actually came across, uh, was not one of the big flashy ones, which we'll talk, talk about in a little bit, but actually a very simple one, um, Highland Forest. So if you don't remember Highland Forest, I do not blame you. Definitely not a card that, uh, people saw coming. Um, Highland Forest is a snow land, and I think the entire cycle of snowlands are actually just, like, very subtly powerful. Uh, Highland Forest in particular is a snow land, it's a forest mountain. I'm a tap to a red or green and enters the battlefield tapped. So this is actually doing a couple different things that I wanted to touch on here. Um, obviously, if you're talking about something like a popper format, right, this is a dual land essentially for you. It comes into play tapped, unfortunately, but still you can fetch it with a anything that would fetch you a, a mountain or forest, right? I'm not even sure what happened if you can do that in popper. <laughs> but the thing I th- think is actually really interesting when we start talking about it in terms of modern um, is the fact that it is a red-green land. Um, so this is something that you can play in a deck with, you know, Valakut, right? Valakut is a, is a deck uh, that needs a high dosage or high amount of uh, lands that can tap for green, but also are mountains, right, to trigger the Valakut. Um, but the place where I actually saw this land first uh, was in a snow deck, right? This was actually in a list that was playing um, copies of Uro and Omnath. Um, also Field of the Dead, right? Because it does have a different name than some other things you would see, uh, but it's still something you could fetch fetch for on turn one if you needed to. So this is actually a really interesting card, the whole cycle, right? And there are, you know, multiple versions of this card um, in every color combination. So I do think this is a card that if you haven't noticed yet, uh, you might, it might be showing up in people's uh, mana bases and actually providing a little bit of value there. So um, just keep an eye out for that one. The second one I, I've been noticing a lot, and really all over the place, has been Valky, God of Lies, and, and I guess by <laughs> attached on the backside is Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter. Um, we, were, we talked about these shows, um, last, uh, these cards last week. I'm not going to go over um, what they do again, but Valky has been just, a, I don't want to say, a, a major facelift. It's been a major facelift um, to the Jund archetype. So I've seen it in two places, and coincidentally, it's actually both Jund decks. Right. Uh, one is in a very basic uh, Jund. Oh, they even just called a Jund deck, right? This is actually um, uh, Musabi. Uh, Musasabi, I can't pronounce the name ever. Uh, actually played a uh, three copies of Valky God of Lies in his Jund deck, or their Jund deck, actually, no. Um, and once again, looking at this deck, it's very straightforward, right? It's copies of Tarmogoyf and uh, Bloodbraid Elf, Renin Six, uh, Liliana the Veil, right? This is a very typical deck, and I think Valky kind of fits in well here. The front side is a little bit of an eruption. It's a two-mana spell, um, which gives you a good number of two-mana plays in the deck, um, alongside, you know, things like Tarmogoyf and Renin Six. Um, but it also does give you that ability to have the powerful back end, uh, where you have, you know, a seven-mana spell you can cast if you need to, right? Um, also having the having Lurith of the Dream Dead in the deck, which is actually has two copies in the main deck, uh, means that you can actually just rebuy Valky, you know, over and over again. Um, and I think the way I, I could be wrong about this wrong wrong about this interaction at least. Um Yeah, um but I, I don't think you can cast the backside of Valky 
um, off of Lurith, but it is still, I think, an effect that is worthwhile um, as the game goes along. The other thing I do like about this deck, too, is you're playing copies of Bloodbraid Elf, which actually kind of segues into the second half of these decks that I'm seeing. Right, the, A lot of these Jund decks are playing Cascade spells that allow them to, you know, hopefully, you know, Cascade into Valky. But obviously Cascade and Jund has you know, been around, I think, really since Bloodbraid Elf has been introduced to the deck. Um, being able to hit something like Tarmogoyf or Liliana the Veil, um, even Thoughtseize or lightning bolt right it's always a fine value hitting valky is like the jackpot there right is it going to come up often probably not right the deck does not have a good way of setting up the top of its deck i said something like mishra's bobble where you can look at the top card and see if it's the spell you're looking for but otherwise you can't really set it up here um i think with loris in the deck the loris um mishra's bobble interaction does make the blood braid a little bit or hit your desired target a little bit more reliably. So I think that actually is pretty pretty decent there. Um, it's a, a really interesting uh, bit of deck building. So in this shell, right, Valky, I think is very powerful. The other ones that I've seen are still quote-unquote Jund decks, but they're not really Jund decks in the traditional sense, right? These are decks that are playing uh, your Cascade spells. So you're talking about things like um, Violent Outburst and Demonic, uh, Demonic Dread, right? The ones in the Jund colors. Um, and you're really, really banking on hitting um, Valky here, right? Getting Valky and getting your um, big tipple. So in order to do this, they have to kind of mess with what the deck traditionally does. So you don't get to see things like Tarmogoyf, you don't get to see things like Lightning Bolt, but you do get copies of cards um, that, in a way, do allow you to catch up or have such a big impact on the game that even if you don't really commit anything to the board until turn three, you're probably okay. So um, in this deck, I've seen things um, such as Blood Moon. Um, I've seen things such as Dismember, which I think is interesting just because it is cheap interaction that allows you to um, kind of skirt around the fact you don't have a, you know, quote-unquote um, low CMC spell. Um, I've also seen things like uh, Anchor of the Gods, which I think is an interesting one too, just because um, I think the effect is you know, very powerful, just not very common. I don't see that card um, in main decks or sideboards anymore. I just think we've gotten so many good options that people forget about Anger of the Gods. Um, and then also things like um, Season Pyromancer is another card I've seen. Um, you know, a more traditional, quote-unquote, uh, uh, red card advantage spell. Um, but that also helps you dig for your Demonic, um, demonic Dreads or um, Violent Outbursts. And in that way, helping you find um, those spells uh, a little bit more effectively. All right. So, and I think Valky, you know, has been very impressive. I think once again, the front side being a little bit of interaction in these decks, I think, is a good fit. Um, Tibble has actually been pretty impressive. The games um, that I've seen it pl in play, um, I didn't quite get the effect <laughs> the first time I saw it. I was like, I, I, I understand we can get a seven mana Planeswalker on turn three, but do, do I really want a seven mana Planeswalker on turn three? Like, the effect in my mind doesn't really line up as well as something like um, Garrick, um, not even like the seven mana Garrick, but like Garrick Primal Hunter, right? That's a that's a big effect, um, and I understand why I would want to pay that much mana for it. Karn is another thing. Ugin, right? These are all things that, in a lot of ways, are really game warping um, if they come out too early. And we've seen that in um, Standard in particular, right, where that they have decks that are ramping up to turn five um, ultimatums that are putting in, you know, a combination of Ugin and um, some dragons and, you know, a bunch of lands that help you recoup and get a second ultimatum, right? Um, when I'm actually looking at, uh, you know, Tybalt, it's like, eh, it's card advantage, right? But it, the idea is it's very hard to actually kill um, uh, Tybalt, Right, uh, Tibble Cosmic Imposter just has so much loyalty initially that it's hard to kill. Um, at the very least, even if you do kill it, because um, it is going from um, five to seven immediately, um, the issue now is that they have cards that they, because of their emblem, always have access to, which I think is also huge. And since the d deck is kind of really about snowballing its advantage once it has the deck, um, the card in play, right, in most of the versions. Um, that are playing, like, the Cascade spells, at least. When you start getting your first Tybalt down, even if they do happen to remove it, 
it's very easy to get the second tibble because you are exiling cards. You're getting cards that allow you to find other cards, right? Um, finding a Bloodbreed Elf um, off of your um, tibble or finding a uh, another Violent Outburst, right? These are all ways to get to your second and your third tibble uh, if you need to. So the other thing, too, that I really don't like is the fact that if you do end up with your um, tibble, um, and, it, and it doesn't die, right? You're just exiling all these um, Cascade spells that you don't want to cast because the only thing you can really get off it isn't Tibbled anymore, it's just Valky. And Valky itself, I think, when you're in that stage of the game, it's probably not the effect you're looking for. Um, the bright side, I guess, is that if you are interested in what's in their hand, you can always use Valky just as a as a peak, right? If you're, if you're interested in that. Um, but I, I think it's kind of like a win more problems, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's a big deal. If at the if I'm at the point where I don't want to cast my Cascade spells because the only thing I can get is another 7-mana Planeswalker, I'm probably okay in that game. <laughs> so, I think it's actually okay. Alright, but I think, uh, once again, I think Tybalt, uh, Cosmic Imposter, and Valky, God of Lies, has really been a good fit into the modern metagame. I, I, I'm always hesitant about these new cards entering, just because I'm not sure what the effect they're going to have. Um, we've obviously seen a lot of cards in the past uh, couple uh, years um, that when they come into Modern, they come into Legacy, they have this huge uh, overbearing effect on the format until, you know, the point where they either get hated out out of existence or, you know, I guess more recently, too, they've been getting, you know, so many bans and things like that or rules changes in the Kids of Companions. Um, so I'm actually really excited for Tibble to come in. I the idea that you can cascade into a seven mana planeswalker I thought was going to be problematic, but it seems to just kind of open up the metagame a little bit more. Once again, I think Jund was a deck that was a bit on the decline, obviously never um, a, never really out of the metagame, but I think it, was a, it wasn't really your one of your best five options. And I think right now it probably is a top, maybe a top five option. Um, the deck is very powerful. I think Jund always has been powerful, but... Um, just not really an attractive option because the game, the deck I felt got outscaled so poor, or I guess so badly, so poorly, uh, by your Uro decks. So I think having access to uh, Valky might allow it to compete a little bit better versus uh, Uro and Omnath. But I guess that uh, time will tell there. Alright, the next card I want to take a look at is uh, Tybalt's Trickery. Um, this is the one that I think has been really um, hyped up, um, and I think for good reason, right? So if you haven't seen this deck, um, I don't believe we actually talked about this on the show last week. Um, Tibble Trickery is a uh, one in a red for an instant. Uh, counter target spell, uh, choose one, two, or three at random. Its controller mills that many cards, then exiles cards from the top of the library until they exile a non-land card with a different name than that spell. They may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Then they may put the exiled cards on the bottom of their library in, in any order. Okay, lots of stuff going on here. Um, the the big thing is you <laughs> you cast a spell. Um, so let's let's have fun. We'll say I'm playing my Jund deck and I play Lightning Bolt. Cool. So I want to counter my Lightning Bolt. I'm going to choose one, two, or three at random. I choose one. I mill one card, and that. Then I'm going to exile cards from the top of my library until I exile a non-land card with a different name than Lightning Bolt. So I'm going to keep going. Um, I hit two lands, and then I hit my third spell, which is a Liliana the Veil. So I get to cast that card without paying its mana cost. And the other exiled cards just go back to the bottom of the deck. That sounds nice. Sounds like a good time. I paid three mana, I countered my own spell, and I got a Liliana. Oh, delightful. Um, in reality, this deck, <laughs> the, the, the card Tibble Trickery is only used uh, for evil. So, uh, Tibble Trickery, the shells that we've seen have been focused really about um, Cascade Spells. So, I've seen a couple different versions, and I think right now it's, it's still kind of hard to group them all, uh, just because I think the deck is still kind of in flux. Um, some people have said, you know, I think this is the best version you should be playing. I think this is the best version. This one's doing the best thing here, but this one's the most consistent. So I, there are some debates, and we'll we'll get to that towards the end. Uh, but once again, they all revolve around having Cascade spells, either Demonic Dread, uh, Violent Outburst, both of those cards that we saw with Valky and Tibble and the Jun decks. 
Um, or if you're playing white, you can actually play Ardent Plea as well, which I think has been um, has its own benefits. Um, in addition to that, you also have Mana Accelerants, and this looks different in, uh, depending on the version as well. The ones that are pretty consistent are Gemstone Caverns, which is the um, legendary land um, that if you aren't going first and it's in your opening hand, you can exile another land from your hand and it, comes, it starts in play uh, with the Luck Counter, uh, which taps for any mana, otherwise it comes into play. Uh, comes into play and just taps for colorless. It's kind of boring otherwise. Um, so Gemstone Caverns, I think, is pretty stock. Same thing with um, Simeon Spirit Guide, right? Uh, just It's fast mana. The one, and once again, depending on the deck, I, I think I've seen a couple versions of this that's not stock by any stretch of the imagination, but I've also seen Chancellor of the Tangle, which I think is an interesting one. Um, we'll talk about another Chancellor a little bit later, but Chancellor of the Tangle is the green chancellor, I believe from New Phyrexia, um, that if it's in your opening hand, uh, you can reveal it and you can add a green mana uh, to your mana pool at the beginning of your um, first main phase. So that is a, another card that I, I see in this deck. And I, part of this deck, I think, is the fact the speed of it, I think, makes it such a difficult thing for your opponent to deal with. Because there are a lot of spells that would be able to interact with it, but you need mana. So I think having the mana accelerator is kind of a necessity here. Um, you also do have access to, I think, the, the real appeal of the deck, right? The, the different uh, high mana cost creatures that you can play. The nice thing about Tibble's Trickery, and just kind of going back to this, uh, you may cast that spell, uh, that card, without paying its mana cost. So if you Tibble's Trickery into, say, I don't know, um, a... And recall the promised end, you actually do get the cast trigger and you get to take over um, their next turn. Um, if you hit, uh, I don't know, like an Ulamog that sees his hunger, you get to exile two of their paradigms. So there's a lot of things here that end up, um, if you get this effect pretty quickly, you get to really dominate the game in a, in a really unfair way. Um, I have seen, obviously, the. Um, the big Emrakul, I can't actually remember what the name of it is, the um, Annihilator 6, uh, production from Colored Spells. Um, I've seen that Emrakul as well. I do like that one. Um, I think, obviously, if you're going to uh, end the game in a fast faction, um, this is uh, Emrakul Dayan's Torn. Um, I do think it's obviously the most powerful one, right? Um, firstly, it can't be countered. Uh, you could take an extra turn, so essentially you cast that and then you get to Annihilator 6 the next turn. Has pressure from colored spells too, so it's not like they can just like bounce it. There's a lot of benefits to having Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. Um, the downside, and we'll get to this, is the fact that even though, though it can't be countered, it can still be exiled, right? And though just by the nature of the deck, um, because you're casting traditionally a Cascade spell into the Trickery into Emrakul, right? You've cast three spells, and now Mindbreak Trap is an option for your opponents. Um, and we've seen this kind of starting to pop up a little bit more um, as the deck has exposed itself a little bit more and trying to people trying to pick apart some of its weaknesses. So um, the issue with Emrakul in my mind is the fact that if you get an extra turn, maybe that is enough time for you to, maybe you have the second Cascade spell where you can try to um, essentially spin the wheel again. Uh, but if you don't, the extra turn doesn't really do you any good. Um, I think the benefit of having something like Ulamog Thesis Hunger is even if they do counter it, now they're back on Baltic, right? They've got nothing going on. So now you have an option, you know, a lot more time in my mind. Rather than buying one turn, you've bought two turns. Um, I think the double time walk is, is going to be traditionally better for you than the single time walk um, if the card's not, um, isn't going to, uh, if the card isn't going to resolve or stay in play, um, that is. I think if, you know, they... Are, they're always going to die to whatever the creature is. I think at that po point, Emrakul is going to be obviously the better option. But um, it's hard to tell. So I, I'd rather, I think, be able to deal with my opponent rather than um, try to press my own advantage there. Um, I've also seen... I've actually, Well, I'll clarify this. I haven't actually seen this yet, um, but I've heard of uh, Grizzlebrand being in the deck too, which I think is interesting, right? Being able to... Uh, put Emrakul into play, draw seven cards. Um, the deck doesn't really deal itself that much damage. They do play a couple shock lands. But I haven't seen that many fetch lands in the deck. Um, 
So I think maybe playing Emrakul is, is a good option. But that's, in my mind, kind of up for debate still, too. Um, I think the deck doesn't really need the card draw, but once again, it does allow you to to rebuy a little bit faster, but like, I don't know if it's better than taking a turn or, you know, you know d- double exiling permanent, things like that. Uh, even like, and I think the effect like Kozilek has, I think Kozilek's another one that I've seen, um, the Butcher of Truth, I, them just drawing four cards, I think it's a big enough boon where that when you get to attack, you get the, the Annihilator trigger. I think that's fine. So I'm not, I'm not in love with Gristlebrand. Um, but the other thing I, I've seen, and this is the uh, the part I think is kind of interesting, um, is the protection that you see in the deck. So, uh, Chance of the Annex is the one I think is the most common, right? Chance of the Annex, once again, a another rare from New Phyrexia. Um, this is if it's in your opening hand. The first spell your opponent plays is count- <coughs> is countered unless they pay one. So... This is one of those things if your opponent is going to try to set up or try to search for the card spell, or even if you go off quickly enough, right? They might have that mind break trap, but if they haven't cast another spell before it, it's just going to get countered by the cha- uh, the Chancellor trigger, which I think is really cool. Um, I've also seen seen it where people have um, something like Remand, right, as their first spell. Um, but once again, because they haven't actually cast a spell before that, right, it just gets countered immediately, and they end up losing the game literally with counter magic. Um, that they can't cast. So I do think that's an interesting um, interesting card as well. The one I really like, though, is Teferi. Um, the three mana Teferi, right? Um, the big thing, obviously, being that if your opponent, even if they do have a counter spell, um, they can't cast it, right? <laughs> the Teferi doesn't allow them to cast it. But the other nice thing, too, is if you're in the mirror, your opponent can't even try to combo off because the Cascade spell is not going to allow them to cast the Tibble's Trickery because they can only cast spells at sorcery speed. So you don't have to worry about the fact that they are going to, you know, maybe hit an Emrakul, right? They can't even cast it. Um, Teferi, I think, is really nice because it has uh, that counterplay. It has in, in the Pseudo Mirror. I don't think you need to have Teferi at this point. I don't think the card is common enough um, that Teferi is a, is a must in your build. But I do think it's a, it's a powerful card in general. I do think it's interesting. Um, and I think the play is probably worth it where... Um, uh, Teferi is at least worth a look here. Um, the nice thing about the the decks, at least, um, the deck, is that when you're looking at some of the cards, um, there are some really powerful things, but the more resilient you try to make the deck, the less powerful it actually becomes in a lot of ways. So, for example, casting or putting something like uh, Chance of the Annex, once again, is very nice if your opponent... Um, wants to try to counter your spells. But if it's in your deck, that means it's not a Eldrazi, right? Your, your goal is to really put an Emrakul in the play. Ideally, that's 95% of the time, that's what you want. Um, but if you put four chances in your deck, well, now there's a higher chance of you hitting a chance in the Annex instead of an Emrakul. Um, same thing with Teferi, right? Like, Emrakul is very powerful. I can kill my opponent with a chance of the Annex. Cannot kill my opponent with a Teferi. I can annoy them to death with a Teferi. That, that's very true. Um, but I definitely cannot kill them with a Teferi. Um, and even looking at things like Chance of the uh, Chance of the Tangle, right? Um, which can definitely beat down, right? Chance of the Tangle is not a, a bad creature. Uh, but Simeon's Spear Guide is not what you want, right? Um, sp- paying three mana to get three mana is a very eh effect. So um, being able to be a little bit faster is really nice, and obviously you do get some nut draws. I played uh, four matches for, you know, various Tibble Trickery decks um, two, yesterday, two days ago, um, and I actually lost on turn four, or sorry, turn one four times, uh, which is not not fun, I promise you, uh, but at least speaks to the idea that the deck can be very powerful, right? It, it very... The effect that it has... Um, can be warping in some in sometimes, right? And I think um, my opponents did get very lucky, obviously, right? Um, they're playing a land. Um, they're winning on their turn one, right? And they're on the draw. So they're Gemstone Caverns um, into double Simeon Spear Guide, something like that. Or, I mean, Gemstone Caverns, land, Simeon Spear Guide. Um, I die to... 
Simeon Spear died, Chancellor of the Tangle, land, and I've died to double Simeon Spirit guide, land. Like, there's obviously a bunch of combinations that can kill you. Um, but, and this is part of my, I don't want to say my, my plea, my appeal. Um, when you're starting to look at the Cascade spells, um, Violent Outburst is absolutely the best one, right? You don't need a target. You don't need to worry about anything. Um, it's in the colors you kind of want to be in already, right? You, you obviously want to be in... Um, Red, I think, for the Simeon Spirit Guide. Not that you necessarily need to be in red, right? But it produces red mana. You might as well take advantage of that. Um, so I think Simeon Spirit Guide and Violent Outburst are... Violent Outburst is probably the best Cascade spell in the deck. Um, Ardent Plea, I think, is actually the second best one. Um, not that it's better than Demonic Dread, but Demonic Dread is worse than Ardent Plea because you need a, you're, you need a creature in play, right? So you can cast your own Simeon Spirit Guide and then target it. But that's not terrible. Um, so, otherwise, you're really depending on your opponent to play a creature and then to Demonic Dread that, which is not really great. Um, also, Demonic Dread, as far as I know, is a sorcery, which means that you can't try to do it end of turn. I'm going to double check that too. To make sure I'm not speaking out of my butt. Uh, but Demonic Dread is one of those cards, too, where uh, Violent Outburst allows you to play at instant speed. Yeah, Demonic Dread is a sorcery. Um, so there's really no, like, no tricks you can play there. Um, Ardent Plea is also, <laughs> mind you, it's an enchantment, right? Um, so it also is played at sorcery speed, but it doesn't have to target anything. You can just cast an Ardent Plea um, and you're in business. So I do like Ardent Plea in that, for that reason, too. Uh, and once again, when you're playing Ardent Plea, that encourages you to start playing... Um, things like Teferi, right? So there is a kind of a balance there. Um, but once again, the big thing is, is the inconsistency with the deck. There are definitely some times where it's going to kill your opponent on turn one. There's also some times where you're going to mulligan down to three cards, um, keep that, you know, two lander and a cascade spell, and then never actually find your... Um, third land, or it's going to get countered, or something like that. So there are a lot of things that can mess you up when playing this deck. But um, I think the deck has been getting refined, it's getting better and better. Um, I think Canister has been saying that the um, list without Teferi is probably the best one, right? You just want to play something streamlined, um, as streamlined as possible. Possible. You don't really care about the interruption, and, th and that makes sense to me, right? I don't think you, if you're playing a, essentially a glass cannon. I don't think you want to start adding, you know, different things to make it more versatile, right? You just want to try to be that, you know, turn one, turn two deck um, and just kind of live your lot there. Uh, people were comparing it to the Goblin Charbelcher deck, right? The, the landless deck there. Um, I don't quite, quite agree with that. I do think the Tibble Tricky deck, obviously, still in flux, um, but I think... Tibble Tricker deck has less play against or counterplay. Um, obviously, it dies to, you know, Mind Break Trap, but, I mean, also the Charbelcher deck plays to uh, lose the Mind Break Trap. I do think there's a lot more ways for a traditional deck, like just a general deck to attack Goblin Charbelcher, the Goblin Charbelcher than there is for a deck in the dark to attack Tibble Trickery. Um... Obviously, something like Teferi is very good versus uh, Tibble's Trickery. Um, counter spells in general are pretty good. Um, and, and even something like, you know, Remand, for example. But Remand's not really a card that's seeing a ton of play, right? It obviously, gets sees play in the format at this point, but it's not a not a huge player. Um, and, like, Tibble's Trickery obviously can get got by something like Thoughtseize or Duress, right? But you're also not... Um, the deck is kind of made up, so as long as you hit one of these Cascade spells, and once again, depending on the deck, you're playing a, a high number of these Cascade spells, um, you might just exile, uh, you know, Thought Seize your opponent, see um, one Outburst and one Ardent Plea, and just die anyways. Um, the mana of the deck is also very, very good. Um, it's just it's playing a bunch of gold lands. Um, so... I think something like Blood Moon might be a, a good play. Like, I think having the ability to, you know, go, like, 
Inquisition is a thought thief into Blood Moon, I think, might be a, a real option. Right. Um, that would at least allow your opponent not to have mana that's not essentially not red, right? Because they need to pick out all the red mana, all the lands would produce red mana, um, and chance the annex can't add green mana except for on the first turn. Um, so I do think that's, that's maybe a path to victory there. Um, so something like um, the Rakdos deck might be a, a decent place to be. But I, I think I kind of want to see how the table trigger deck ends up playing out a little bit more. So uh, that's kind of on my, on my watch list right now. All right. Um, one more deck. Uh, but before we get to that deck, I want to take a short commercial break and I'll talk about our sponsor. Let me set the scene. You had a great day at work. You come home and your spouse has made your favorite meal. After evening drinks, your partner decides to call it a night. The only thing that would make this night perfect would be getting that 5-0 in your Legacy League. You queue in with your favorite tech when it happens. You queued into reigning trophy leader, Negator 77. Before you know what happens, Merit Lage is attacking for lethal and you finish your league 4-1. But it's been your day. Surely you can rattle off five wins in a row. Through some tight play and a little luck, you make it back to 4-0. But then as if summoned from the gates of hell, he comes. Negator 77, to deny you that trophy. If you have been a victim of Negator 77, please call this toll-free hotline, 1-800-438-7358. We have counselors waiting to listen to your bad beat stories. I myself have been a victim of Negator 77. I would have won, but he topped up that pithy needle and turned off my altar of dimension. I haven't stopped complaining since. My counselor listens to my same story over and over, and each time I tell it, I feel a little bit better. There's nothing like complaining to strangers. It's the next best thing to being in a convention hall. So if you run into Devourer of Dreams and Trophy Vacuum Negator 77, be prepared to call this number, 1-800-438-7358. That's 1-800-GET-WRECKED. And if you think an entire hotline for victims of Negator 77 is excessive, I'm guessing you don't play Legacy. All right, well, thank you for listening to that sponsor break. Um, let's finish up with this last card here that I thought was interesting um, and seeing a little, little bit of play. So we actually talked about this last week when we were looking at cards um, that were fascinating to us. Uh, this is Bergy God of Storytelling and, obviously, uh, Harnell Horn of Bounty. So this was um, the god that made red mana when you cast a spell on the front side and on the back side, uh, the five-mana artifact that you could discard a card... Um, and exile uh, the top two cards of your library, and you can cast those until the end of your turn. So I actually saw, uh, I want to give credit to, I want to say it was Caleb um, Derwald who was playing this deck, and I, if it's not Caleb, um, the, I guess enjoy the free pub. Um, but if it wasn't, I guess, um, sorry to whoever it actually was. Um, but I saw him playing this really interesting like mono-red deck that was playing uh, things like... Um, Obviously, uh, Rite of Flame, uh, it was playing Seething Song. This was in Legacy, of course. Um, but playing all these, you know, really cool, you know, one and, you know, zero mana spells. Um, and the idea was you would, you know, generate a bunch of mana and then eventually kill them with something like Grape Shot, uh, which is cool. Deck was, the deck was mono red. Um, and once you did play a lot of these really cool effects, um, they also played Bonus Round, which is a card I hadn't actually thought of um, when I was kind of looking to the deck myself. Uh, but Bonus bonus Round, for those who do not know, uh, is a rare from Battle Bond. Um, one in double red. Until end of turn, whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, that player copies it and may choose new targets for the copy. Um, so essentially what you're doing is you're casting your... Uh, seizing Song, right? Pay three mana, get Seizing Song, get your free red mana. Um, get your five mana from the original Seizing Song and get five mana from the copy. And suddenly you've gone from uh, three mana to 11, which is obviously ridiculous. Um, the thing that looks interesting to me, because I do think Burn of Throne is a good addition to that general strategy. And I, I kind of mentioned this last week on the show, where I think the idea of having this kind of engine that you get to you know, have all this mana and funnel it into a really powerful spell and kind of pull it back out and get use that to get more cards 
it's really cool. And I think I think from watching um, them play, I, I got that same idea that you can make a ton of mana. There was at one point, I think they were up to like 27 mana, which was really cool. But then they packed the turn with nothing, which is not what you want when you have the ability to make this much mana. Um, so the deck just runs out of steam. So there needs to be some better balance of spells, but I'm just not sure how that's going to look. Um, it, it could be uh, a matter of having red card draw, but that's not really a thing, which is, which is one of the concerns that I, that I obviously have looking at the deck now, right? Um, most of the things you have in red are not card draw as much as they are um, looting or you know, pilfering or whatever you want to call it, right? Where I discard three cards and I draw three cards. Um, I, or, you know, in the case of like something like Goblin Lore, right? I can draw four cards and discard three cards, but that only does me um, a service on the copy, right? The copy will put me up one card. Um, so, in, you know, obviously something like Faithless Looting too, right? I, I'm going to pay one card to draw two and discard two. I'm still down a card there. So the issue that I'm having with watching the deck was like, you really just need something that says like, just, you know, triple red draw two. Like that seems fantastic. Um, is that really the effect you want? Eh, probably not. Right. But I think it's the effect you need. Um, the thing I'm currently thinking for that deck is that I think you kind of need to splash for a second color. Like, I think splashing for ba um, black and getting something like Ancient Craving. Once again, not a fantastic card. Um, Ancient Craving, I think, has been pre-printed um, a, a trillion times. Um, but, you know, all it all it does, right, it's uh, four mana, three, and a black. Um, draw three cards, and you lose three life. Simple effect, nothing super crazy. But you have the mana for it, right? So I think the thing you're really looking for is to just have something that at least lets you go up cards. Um, and you can obviously do this in multiple colors. Like, I think blue would be ideal. Like, in my mind, I'm thinking something like blue sun zenith. But you also don't want to play... Um, you don't want to get to the point where you have triple blue. Like, that's not going to happen nine times out of ten. Um, Ancient Craving, at least, is something that you could get the black off of a Manamorphose, which I think is the card you'd want to be playing anyways. Um, use your Manamorphose... Um, Get go through your deck, still be up mana on the on that card, but transfer it into double black, and you get your free red two, draw your card, and then ancient craving um, to get your card count back up. So I think that's kind of where you need to be. Um, and once again, I think that's going to obviously mess into your consistency. But like if your deck is able to generate such large amounts of mana but can't do anything with it, then the deck is in inherently not really a great deck anyways. I think I think you do need to. In inject something i'm just not sure what it is um and maybe it isn't black right um but like i don't know what i can't think of an effect that green could give you um that you would really want um i can't really think of an effect that blue could give you that's reasonable at least and one thing i think blue um is you know historically the card draw color but i don't know what that card you know one i guess one blue and a bunch of red I don't know that's the thing I'm, I'm also having issues with because um, it, it could be something like um, like expansion explosion right I think having being able to copy your spells anyways might be good because you are obviously making mana off the copies with Bergy in play um, explosion obviously lets you draw some cards and deal damage you can deal damage to your opponent and it's also a mana sink which I think uh, would be would be good, um, but obviously with the expansion explosion, you you do need um, you know, a certain amount of blue mana, right? You can't just cast the expansion or the explosion rather um, off of just red. So you you need double blue. I think getting double blue obviously means that you're going to be having to cast a metamorphosis anyways, um, and I don't think it chains up particularly well early, but maybe if you get to the point where you do draw six cards off the, the explosion, you're probably okay. Like, I think that's enough. Um, we can translate that into, you know, a Lotus Petal, a Rite of Flame, and that gives you enough mana where you can go go cast your um, Horn, or you can cast, um, you know, a bunch of rituals to cast a second explosion, something like that. Um, so that's the possibility of maybe something that the deck would want.
but and the Sims of Carter, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about. Um, it does also make me, the, the legacy version of this does make me kind of wonder how powerful this deck would be if you had something like Underworld Breach, which honestly, uh, I think, thank goodness for all of us, um, Underworld Breach has already been in, in legacy. Um, but that kind of makes you think now, what if we translate this to modern, right? Obviously, I don't get things like Lotus Petal, I don't get things like um, Seedling Song, but Underworld Breach is powerful in its own. I don't get that. I don't get Mox Opal anymore, but I get Mox Amber. Maybe that's not bad. Um, and obviously, the, I think the other one that I'm kind of upset about is Rite of Flame um, you know, being legal in Legacy, but not in Modern. So there there might be something there but that's that's another one i'm kind of kind of concerned about i'm not sure if the addition of underworld breach is worth the loss of so many other just powerful man accelerants that you get in red and legacy um and this and one thing not including the artifacts because i think lion's eye diamond and lotus pedal obviously are you know monsters on their own uh, in their own right so uh maybe the underworld breach in modern with Brigi is worthwhile, worth exploring, but I, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll wait for somebody else to try to um, do that. Alright, so these are all the cards that I that I found interesting that I've seen um, in the past week or so. Right? Uh, so if you see any of those, let me know. Um, check those out. Um, two cards I do want to kind of look at before we get out of here. Um, the first one's actually one that I came across while talking um, to people about EDH, which I, um, I'm i not going to get into <laughs> my EDH play, um, but I I have been building a new uh, Hapatra um, Vizier Poisons deck, which I'm really excited about, um, which has been really fun. Um, somebody in my group is talking about their new Turgrid deck. So Turgrid, God of Fright. Um, also, once again, the gods that's the backside, which is... Turgrid's Lantern. So if you haven't seen um, Turgrid God of Fright, you're in for delight. Um, it is three and double black uh, for a four five god with menace. Uh, whenever a creature, or sorry, whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put uh, you may put that card onto the battlefield under your control from their graveyard. The backside uh, Turgrid's Lantern uh, tap. So it's like three and a black. Um, legendary artifact tap target player loses three life unless they sacrifice a non-land permanent or discard a card you can pay three and a black to untap trigger's lantern so this is a card i i did not notice existed i'm gonna be quite honest with you um i heard heard people talking about it um just on podcast here and there right but mostly on edh so i haven't hadn't actually got to read the card the card's actually well messed up <laughs> um the big thing it reminds me of is kalidus right kalidus trader of get um which yeah, I think it has this reputation now as being a very um, stabilizing figure, right? When you talk about uh, black decks, right? It's a huge on um, the life gain that um, that card can give you. You're already kind of playing the game where you are, you know, destroying creatures um, using spot removal. You know, your fatal pushes and your, um, you know, lightning bolts and things like that. So, Kalidus allows you to translate, uh, stabilize the board. Um, last you some time to clean up and then eventually translate those your opponent's creatures um, and your removal spells into zombies which allow you to make Kalidus bigger and eventually take over the game like that with lifelink um, I think Terrigrid is essentially the same card just a, li just a little different right it's one more mana for 4-5 um, which I think is actually really nice when you're talking about the red decks um, obviously it does cost one more mana I'm not overlooking that but having 5 toughness as opposed to Four toughness does mean you get uh, through flame flash, which, which I think is huge. Um, also, the effect um, on Turgrid I think is actually real stupid. Uh, when you consider, if you're playing a black deck, and I think this type of black deck, which is capable of stabilizing the board, I think something like Liliana the Veil really matches up well here, right? Uh, if your opponent discards a discards a permanent card, so they discard an excess land. Oh, you get a land. That's weird. I mean, like, it's a weird effect that they just, you just get it. Um, but you, you just get it. You get a land to discard. Um, so you're encouraging them to discard spells, like, but not creatures, right? Just like instruments or sorceries so that you don't, they don't get the, per you don't get the permanent back, which I think is huge. 
So Liliana there, but also they can sacrifice a creature, and if they sacrifice a creature, you get that creature back as long as you have Turgrid, which I think is also really good. So this is something I think that is maybe something that should be explored, right? Maybe, and I, I think the issue, one of the issues right now is that people are so excited about Valky and these Jun decks that people aren't even thinking about Turgrid. Um, but I do think there is some potential here. Um, even something, you know, some effect such as, um, you know, just a different different types of edict effects and things like that, I think are, are worthwhile. Um, like something like Angrath's Rampage, I think is really, really neat. Uh, where if you have your opponent sacrifice their Planeswalker, you get their Planeswalker now. I think that's also a really cool interaction um, that you get with Turgrid. I also think the backside, too, I think uh, Turgrid's Lantern is a very powerful mana sink. Um, it's one of those things that if you have, you know, on top of turn with eight mana, your opponent can't get targeted by Turgrid's Lantern three times in a turn and expect to win the game still, right? Um, they just don't have nine life they're willing to lose. They don't have that many cards in hand. And eventually they can get to the point where they can't sacrifice any more than online permanents. Um, also, I guess the cool interaction, too, is that they discard a permanent spell or a non-land permanent, or actually just a permanent in general, um, but it's sacrifice a non-land permanent to the Turgrid's Lantern, and you get that back with Turgrid. So there is obviously some synergy there, too, um, if you were to have both in play. So I, I do think Turgrid, um, Turgrid and Turgrid's Lantern are cards I'm, I'm interested in looking at. Um, maybe in uh, Modern, maybe like in that... Um, blue-black control list that has been um, gaining a little bit of steam. I do think it's a deck that, or a card, that might be interesting there as a, as a slower win con. Um, the other one I think that's really, really neat and that's been impressing me a lot is Behold the, Multi Behold the Multiverse. Um, and this is just a common. I, I think we, after and I talked about this last week too, where there are so many cards in this format that we have been kind of overlooking because they're not super flashy. Um, you know, a lot of rares, a lot of mythics, but behold, the multiverse is actually just a common. Um, it's four mana, scry two, draw two. So, and this is essentially a card that we were willing to play in, in standard for a very, very long time. And even in modern, um, this, this card's all play, right? Glimmer of Genius. So, behold, the multiverse, the only reason I'm even bringing it up is the fact it has foretell. So, foretell, um, its foretell cost is one in the blue. So, pay two on the front end at some point, right? Doesn't matter when. Um, but then, for two mana later, you can finally draw, uh, scry two and draw two at instant speed. I, I think that effect of that is actually really huge. And one thing, we haven't really, I haven't gotten to see too many of these, um, you know, blue-white or blue-red control decks kind of develop. But specifically for blue-white, I think it's interesting because... Um, when you get once again, when you compare it to Glimmer of Genius, this is going to be better ninety five percent of the time, right? Like it's always going to be Glimmer if you don't care about the the energy, but it does have a little bit more flexibility that you can pull up the cost if you want to. And I think that it in itself is a huge advantage. Um, the other thing I think that's really worth it for you is the fact that the um, addition of Doomscar and Solid Coming, which I think Solid Coming is a card we had mentioned last week, didn't talk too much about. It's another uh, foretell cost, uh, foretell spell, um, that one in the blue, um, one in double blue initially, um, the foretell is one in the blue to counter target spell. So I think if you're talking about playing a blue-white control deck that has um, Salt Coming or Doomscar already, right, now playing the Behold the Multiverse actually is just an, um, something that you can use to diversify what's actually under there. And I think the your opponents are very unwilling to play that game of what's in the box, right? Because maybe it is a counter spell, and you need to commit to the board to overload the counter. Maybe it's a wrath, and they need to not uh, overcommit to the board, um, or they're going to get obviously slipped away. And maybe it's just you know behold the multiverse, and your opponents can do nothing and try to get you at the end of your turn, and you're just gonna draw two cards. Um, you know, find your Supreme Verdict or your Doomscar, and you're just going to wrap them on your turn anyways. So there's a lot of different levels to the, um, this card, but I think having 
kind of leaning into the foretell effect um, gives you a little bit more, uh, I, I guess, power right in the situation. Because if your opponent doesn't know how they're supposed to play, um, they're just going to play wrong, right? There's, there's no correct way to play in this situation where I have to overextend, but I can't overextend, but I have to cast something, but I can't cast anything. Then, then you're just going to die then. And I think that's a really cool power that you get for playing, you know, Behold the Multiverse along with Solid Coming and Doom Scar. Alright, um, well this is I think we're getting to the end I think I don't want to keep you guys too much longer I feel like I'm talking to my students here um, so I do want to um, kind of wrap up the show um, at this point um, but thank you uh, once again just for your support, you guys have been uh, fantastic as always in supporting our content I'm talking to people. We've got a couple new listeners I see um, on um, Spotify. I see we got a couple more people joining the podcast, uh, joining us on Twitter. Uh, if you want to join uh, join us on Twitter, it is at depth underscore podcast. And please, even if you listen to the show all the time, just um, join, uh, you know, friend us on Twitter. Uh, because the more people who friend us on Twitter, um, the easier it is for other people to see us to find the show. Um, likewise, too, if you have a second take, um, please try to like the show on um, whatever podcast service you're listening to. Once again, the more likes we get, the easier it is. Um, we pop up on searches, things like that. Um, and once again, it's a, it's a free way to support our content uh, rather than asking you to donate a bunch of money. We don't we don't want that. We don't need that. We just want your support, your admiration, um, and you know we'd love for you to come back next week. Um, so, uh, Mapson will be back next week. Um, if you do want to reach out to him, uh, he is at Expedition Map on Twitter. Uh, he also does stream um, occasionally. Um, I'm not sure when he's playing off streaming next, but hopefully soon. Uh, if you want to find myself, I am at Bad Luck Bandit on Twitter. Um, if you want to, once again, find the podcast on Twitter, that's depth, depth underscore podcast. And if you want to email the show, that is darkdepthpod at gmail.com and once again thank you for coming thank you for listening to me and i hope i'll see you next week all right bye